Welcome back to another episode of Aggie Hoops Weekly, and Billy Kennedy is no longer the coach of the Texas A&M men's basketball program. We're going to talk about the Billy Kennedy era, our one-on-one SEC tournament performance, and what we think things might look like next year. Let's roll. Welcome to Aggie Hoops Weekly. This is our season ender episode. We'll be looking at the end of the Aggie season, but this is not our last episode of the season. We've got a lot more to talk about, including a coaching search and a replacement hire and lots of things in between. So, David, it finally happened. Billy Kennedy was let go. I don't think that this was a surprise for many people. It certainly wasn't good news by any means. Looking back on this season, how do you process what we've witnessed over the last four months? I think the easiest way to talk about this is to say that you and I, uh, without beating our chest too much, we kind of had it nailed. Uh, We kind of called this shot for shot coming down the stretch here. I think it was exceedingly clear to all parties that, you know, we had that nice little run where we thought maybe we were going to make a play at the NIT. Uh, but then as that faded, as as we approached the, the tougher part of our schedule on the back end, and it became kind of clear that, uh, you know, as we lost to Mississippi State and finished the year 0-10 against the top half of the SEC, it kind of became clear that this was going to be the end. And uh, we'll talk more about the way that went down and some of the particulars. But to me, and I wrote about this, and that's truly how I feel, I feel like the timing was right. I don't feel like it made sense before now, and it does make sense now. So ultimately, I'm happy with it, and I'm excited about what what things might look like for us moving forward. I think you're right. I really liked the way that you phrased it in your article on Good Bull Hunting. This was the right time to do this. If you were going to make this change, you had to do it now. As we talked about last week, keeping Kennedy meant that you weren't just keeping him for the next season. You had to give an extension. And that seemed to be a dangerous proposition based on what we had seen recently. So I think that the timing was right around this move, this personnel change. I'm curious to see what the effects of this are going to be on the current roster and how things are going to look going forward. Despite the fact that letters of intent have already been signed for the 2019 class and and guys are getting ready to enroll, it doesn't mean that changes can't or won't be made. So there's always some interesting things that could happen uh, after the season is over, once a new coach is announced. I think there's a lot to to digest and a lot to look forward to on that front as well. Okay, so Blake, what I'm going to do here, I'm going to take us quickly through the SEC tournament. That is not the story of the day. It is not the story of the week. It's not what we're going to spend much of our time on, but we would be remiss to not mention it at all. So I will take us through exactly what happened when we went to Nashville. And what I thought was interesting about the SEC tournament for us, Blake, is that it really it was a microcosm of, of the entire season because we beat the bad team and we lost the good team. And it, you know, it, it's crazy to me. The more I think about this, uh, that's truly how our season broke down. Is we just beat teams we were better than, and we lost to everyone who was better than us. We never really played above or rarely too far below our standard. We just were what we were for the most most of the year. And, and to that end, that's exactly how this week in Nashville played out. So I'll start us with the, the Wednesday night jester show, which nobody wants to be a part of, but we, we were a part of it, unfortunately, as the 11 seed playing 0-18 Vanderbilt in Nashville. Interesting note about this game, the news that Kennedy would not return leaked ahead of this game. So believe it or not, we were kind of a trendy uh, upset pick. There were people who were thinking that the combination of us already being told that our coach was gone, combination of the game being in Nashville, combination of Vandy themselves not wanting to be the first 0-19 team in conference history, people thought that 
those things might combine to uh, lead to a Vanderbilt victory. And we played great. I was proud of the way we reacted amidst that like firestorm of controversy and, and conflict and distraction. We came out and we played great. Uh, Savion Flagg in particular was the best player on the floor by a huge margin. He had 27 points in this game, Blake. There were multiple parts in the game where he was barely trailing Vanderbilt as a whole by himself. So that was kind of the way this game went. Uh, our defense looked great. And something else happened uh, that you and I have talked about all year. We didn't shoot that many threes, and our offense looks good. It looked fluid. I don't know why this is the case, Blake, but we're not a good three-point shooting team, and when we stray away from the thing we're bad at, our offense looks better. What yeah, a novel concept, do right? Every, right, but it's not something we do every game. And I've got a theory there, and I'll, I'll touch on it here in a minute. But uh, for this game specifically, we moved the ball inside. We looked good. We were not overly reliant on the three, and we cruised to victory. Uh, 69 to 52 win, uh, which set us up for a, I guess we'll call it a round of 16. Is that is it a round of 16? A quarterfinal? It's not a quarter quarterfinal, is it? No, it's not no, even it's, a quarterfinal. It's like the round. Of, it's like the round of 16, but there's only 12 teams, so we'll call it the round of 12. We, we advanced to the round of 12 against Mississippi State, who had just waxed us five days prior in Starkville. And Blake, this one was bad immediately. Uh, Mississippi State just came out and blew the doors off of us, and it became clear to me, kind of in the opening 10 minutes of that first half, that we were just gassed. You know, we were really putting a ton of usage and a ton of minutes on the same three or four guys uh, in the absence of TJ Starks. And I just kind of watched that all catch up to us live, right? We just kind of watched it happen in real time. And it wasn't there. And truth be told, the Bulldogs just ran away from us. Uh, the final score in this one was 80 to 54. I'm not really going to dog on the effort because I really think it was just the guys that kept answering the bell. Just finally, it was one too many. Uh, and it was a highly motivated, highly energetic Mississippi State team. Their defense was smothering. We spent large portions of our possession not even getting inside the three-point line. So not really a great way to end the year. But in the end, the SEC tournament kind of made sense to me. I want to start with Vanderbilt. We talked about this last week. The theme of the tournament was don't lose to Vandy. Just whatever you do, don't lose to Vandy. Don't be that team. Yeah. And yeah. luckily the guys pulled through. They they Like you said, they looked great. I was really impressed, really pleased with, with the showing against Vandy. Really good win for the Aggies. Against Mississippi State, like you said, I don't fault them one bit. We were just outgunned. We were outmanned. One of the interesting things in the build-up to this game, and I saw Casey Smith from Barstool, was talking about the spread on this game was 8.5. To me, this was easy money. Because I was going to put... I'd, I'd put my house, I'd put my mortgage on... Uh, A&M losing by more than eight and a half. I saw nothing in the prior game against Mississippi State, the regular season finale, that made me think that A&M had a prayer in this situation. So I really didn't feel like A&M was even close to being an eight and a half point underdog. So I wasn't the least bit surprised by what the Aggies encountered in a Mississippi State team that was fresh. The Aggies were clearly not. It only made sense that things weren't going to come together at a certain point in this tournament. Yeah, and I was with you. Don't lose to Vandy. Mission accomplished. Whatever. Now that That's really how, how it felt for me. It was a stark contrast to watch Mississippi State and the other teams that made the NCAA tournament. Uh, it did feel, despite all of our progress and despite how well we rallied at certain times during the season, it did just feel like this other part of the league was playing an elevated brand of basketball that we couldn't reach. And uh, we saw that time and time again, and we saw it again to close the season against Mississippi State. There was just, there was a level we couldn't touch, and that was our undoing. It really was. 
you hate for your team to go out like that, but I think it, it put a definitive period at the end of the sentence, right? This is it. You you don't belong here. We're not ready for this. This team is not playing that level of basketball. We we knew what we were going into this, and the tournament further cemented that knowledge of you are what you are. So it did. It put a period at the end of the sentence, and it made it no or it gave us no doubt as to what was going to happen. But I'm curious, Blake, what are your thoughts on the way it went down? The fact that we had a report that uh, kind of evolved from he is unlikely to return to he will not return. And the fact that this report is is common knowledge you know, with two games left to play in the season. How did that sit with you? I don't think it's a good look for the program. One of the things that's been really nice about the Scott Woodward administration is things usually are pretty tight-lipped around personnel moves. Kevin Sumlin was a bit of an exception. I think it, that was one of those situations. There was a lot of speculation, but it, there was never a finality, right? There was never this, Sumlin is definitively out until he actually was. It was unusual then to hear before the tournament started that Kennedy was out. Now, a couple things. It told those of us that followed the program that no matter what happened in the tournament, there was virtually no chance of Kennedy saving his job, even with a, a miraculous run in the SEC tournament. Now, mm-hmm. if he won the SEC and made it to the NCAAs, okay, maybe there's a chance there. But I think all of us watching this team knew that that wasn't going to happen. So it's not a good look for the program. I will say that. You, you don't want those things getting out because ultimately you just you, you look like an amateur hour now, this is not a shot at Brent Z, Brent Zwerneman, who reported this for the San Antonio Express News and the Houston Chronicle. I have no problems with him reporting the story. That's his job. It's A&M's job, and it's the athletic department's job to keep their mouths shut and not tell anybody this until it is a definitive thing. Let the media speculate, but don't answer the question until that time comes, right? Like I said, I don't fault Brent Z one bit for reporting this good for him congratulations on getting the scoop but as an athletic department you need to have a tighter control on your ship to make sure that that these types of things aren't getting out because it's just not a good look well put well put the leak in the dam is not from brent z to the public it's from the department to brent z so that's the part we got to shore up i didn't love the way it went down but i think you you did a good job delineating where the blame actually lies on this one so I guess the only outstanding question is what do we think about his tenure as a whole? There's been, and especially the national perception of this firing, I'm just going to be honest, it hasn't been great. I think it's pretty easy if you're someone who hasn't been following A&M basketball closely to just draw a solid black line from the two Sweet 16s in three years to this firing and to say, well, that doesn't make sense. Why'd they do that? So how do you feel about the Billy Kennedy era as a whole? Because I think there's an interesting discussion here uh, to be had about how he gets remembered relative to some of the other uh, A&M coaches. Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I'll be honest with you. The first four years of Kennedy's tenure really doomed him from the start. The fact that he didn't have that success right off the bat, coming from a transition from Turgeon to Kennedy, where Turgeon had success and had made the NCAAs, had this program in, in a seemingly good place. You could argue that, okay, he was leaving the program in a worse place than it was when he when he entered the picture, This he, he being Turgeon, but 
you still felt like Kennedy should be able to pick something up and make something of this. And the fact that it took him five years to get back to the NCAA tournament was, I think, a bit of a surprise. And I know that there were many of us who got quite impatient during that period of time looking at where the program had been and the upward trajectory we were on and then having that downswing. I think that really it it worked against Kennedy from the start. And even though he did go to two Sweet 16s in three years, even though he led A&M to its first conference title in 30-plus years, it was one of those things where the first stumble he had, he had better have a really good reason for why he stumbled. Because people don't have short memories when it comes to a stretch like that where you're, you're losing your first four seasons. And I think that from that perspective, I will look fondly back on the the pleasant memories of of Kennedy's time. I think you and I have talked about this. He was at the helm of some of the coolest memories for this program. The, the some of the defeats over Kentucky, some of the 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 tournament runs, the the game against Northern Iowa, which is one of the greatest comebacks in NCAA tournament history, a shellacking of the defending national champion North Carolina Tar Heels. That that game last year was just incredible. It was mind boggling to watch Texas A and M run the Tar Heels off the floor. So for that, I'm I'm eternally grateful to Kennedy, but at the same time, I do think that there was just too much inconsistency in this program. So I have nothing to add in terms of his overall era. You when you laid out his era perfectly, the only thing I will say is the reason he made it eight years is right as those four years of of nothing, right as that was cresting, that was the obvious time to fire, and that was the year he had inked the best class in program history: the Gilder, Starks, Thomas, uh, Davis class. I think it was fourth or third in the country, four four stars, the type of class that we had never signed before. And at that point, we had to make a decision. Are we going to hand this guy and risk losing this class, or do we keep him around and do we keep these guys together? And I would make that same call again. We kept we kept them together, and that class was responsible for the two Sweet 16s and the SEC title. So to me, we, we made the right call. We, we could have deviated halfway through this and risked losing that. We kept the class together. Uh, we got our three-year run of, of, of a ton of success. But then things went back to the way they were before. And to your point, as you look at the eight-year block, it's just it's really, really easy to point at the three years where we had that amazing class on site and say, that's why this happened. That class is gone. Now it's pretty easy to look at the remaining years, years one through four, year eight, and to say that's what we're going to get moving forward. And that was, quite frankly, below average to middling conference uh, numbers and that's not good enough so that is the basis for everything i've said about the timing was right it's based on that call we made four years ago and it's a call i think was that that was correct we have since let the uh, ramifications of that call play out and then here we are four years later and i think we made the right call again i agree and i'll add one more thing billy kennedy always conducted himself with class uh, he he led this program with with grace and with class you never worried about a scandal with with the Billy Kennedy led program, there's something about the Aggie psyche where we like to operate from a position of moral superiority, and with Billy Kennedy, you had that right. You never worried about a Patino situation or you know a Scott Drew situation. Like I said, I'm I'm grateful for the time he spent here. 
I'm grateful for some of the the memories in, in the sense that you know he led this program with with a great deal of integrity and developed guys and brought them along in, in that same mold. But now that Billy Kennedy is gone, one of the things that you have to ask yourself is, how does this impact te- the Texas A&M roster going forward? Do we have transfers on the horizon? What happens to the commits that that we signed this year? So where do things sit from that perspective? Well, I've got some bad news for you on that front because one of our four incoming freshmen, Chris Harris, has already been reportedly asking about a release from the LOI he signed recently. So no, we don't have any outgoing transfers, but we do have a potentially one one fewer freshman coming in. I will say that he's kind of a combo guard. He's a good player, but he's 6'3", kind of combo guard. We have those in spades, so it's not at a position of need. It's just it's more guard depth we would have had. Surely he might become a good player, but if he ends up get, asking for a release, uh, I don't think it's a huge impact to us next year. Uh, aside from that, though, one of the things that I am excited about is that we really only lose Mekawulu and Collins, and we are returning a pretty heavy percentage of our rebounding block shots and our scoring from a team that, if not great, was at least solid. To me, I think, Blink, that's the important part of us kind of grinding this one and eight start to a seven and 13 finish is that instead of building from rock bottom, you're building from, you know, below average, right? But at least you're, you're not starting from the bottom. So the fact that we're returning most of our key contributors from the squad, that was, eh, that's, that, 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 that's a better place to start from than, than to be the Vanderbilt of the world. Right. So it's, you know, it, it could be worse. And, and with the right hire and if, if, if the rest of this class rounds out, I think there's still plenty to be excited about next year. I agree 100%. And there's also an interesting possibility with Admon Gilder. This was his senior season. However, he would still have the opportunity to come back for a fourth season because he did not play this year. So he would be able to take a red shirt and then return next year. Now, there's a question of who is the new coach? Does the new coach want Admon Gilder? I think he would be crazy not to. But there's always the opportunity of Admon graduating and taking a grad transfer and and going somewhere else to finish out his career. I hope that doesn't happen. I really hope he gets a chance to play next year. And there's always the possibility as well that he decides that this injury has hindered him enough and he wants to go make his opportunity to, to play professionally. And maybe he declares for the draft and, and ends up going pro. So I couldn't fault him if that was the case, especially losing this year. Uh, it, it does certainly point out the, the frailty of, of a career in pro sports. So you have to take those opportunities whenever you get them. And if the opportunity presents itself to Admon this year and he decided to, to declare for the draft, I certainly wouldn't fault him for taking that opportunity. But personally, selfishly, I do hope he comes back next year because I think he will have a phenomenal season. That's a fascinating piece of next year's team. Yeah, we'll, we'll just have to keep our ear to the ground for that one. But in, in any regard, it's there's more uh, there's more to be excited about next year than I would have thought uh, one month ago. You know, it, it's been a very enlightening month, and I think we have some pieces to work with moving forward. Uh, unfortunately, Blake, that encouragement and that feeling of optimism did not extend its way to the SEC offices because when they announced the SEC postseason teams, there was not a single Aggie represented in the bunch. Not on the first team, not on the second team, not the all-freshman team, not the all-defensive team, nowhere in the coaching awards, as you might expect. We just flat out weren't listed anywhere. So even though we improved, even though we looked better and we had uh, certain guys in particular really come on late, 
it was too little too late. And the fact that we just plummeted and had those terrible non-conference losses and a 1-8 start in SEC play, that was ultimately too much to dig out from. I will say, I thought Josh Nebo had a shout for all defensive teams. His block stats and particularly his blocks advanced metrics were best in the conference by a healthy margin. But I assume he was derailed by uh, a knee injury that cost him a couple of weeks there coming down the stretch. And then his production did dwindle. So maybe uh, a combination of those two things plus our kind of middling record might have kept him out. But uh, he's probably the best shout we had that was denied. Yeah, and and I did hate to see that for Nebo. And I think that the other reason maybe is Nebo's actually listed as the backup at, at that five spot. So it would, it, I guess it would be kind of an odd thing to have an all-conference defensive player who basically averages 20 minutes a game. So from that regard, I get it. I understand why I don't like it. I think he is probably one of the best defenders in the conference, especially with his shot blocking ability and shot altering ability. But I, I understand why that decision was made. So I think that pretty much puts a wrap on this season. As I mentioned at the outset, this may be our last episode about the 2018-2019 season, but we are far from done. We have a coaching search to cover. We have a coaching hire to cover. And we'll hopefully, we're working on lining up some really good guests to do some interviews and and try to bring some insight on this process and what we can expect in, in the next coach of the Aggie men's basketball team. So I would encourage you to follow us and stay on top of things. We will probably be releasing new episodes on kind of an unpredictable schedule. So we'll we'll try to put these things out there, make sure we post them to Good Bull Hunting, make sure we post to Twitter. We encourage you to subscribe. That way you always get the latest podcast. Follow along through the podcast app of your choice. But as, as things develop, as a hire is made, we'll certainly do emergency podcasts to break in with that and, and analyze the coaching hire. And we'll also be looking over the next few days at the the candidate pool, who who we think might be included on that front, who we might expect to, to get a look from this athletic department, and hopefully we'll go from there. I would just echo Blake's thoughts there. It, it We've gotten away from our game-based schedule, so we will come to you guys as the news comes to us. So we'll just wait to see how quick this thing moves. Uh, we'll try to get our content out accordingly. And, you know, y'all get excited. The uh, College Hoops coaching carousel, it's fun and it moves quick. So keep your ear to the ground. We'll do the same. And hopefully we'll have some fun news to share uh, in the not-too-distant future. All right. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon, buddy. Have a good one.